Second Sunday of the month of November has been designated as Adoption and Orphan Care Sunday. For the past few years, I've tried to make it a point in those congregations that I was serving to honor that day by focusing on the doctrine of adoption, what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, in granting us the gift of adoption into the family of God, and then to talk about the call of God on our lives and ministering to, to orphans and those in need of, of children in need of, in need of care. It's a, a very real need, one that's easy to neglect, one that sometimes because it's out of sight may be out of mind for us, but one that is central to the call that God has placed on our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. I want us to look at just a few verses in the book of Galatians, and then later I'm going to invite some friends to help me with the message this morning and sharing about opportunities that we have uh, to be a part of caring for children who uh, have very real needs. But before we get there, I want you to see what the Bible says about our status as adopted children into the family of God. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7 will be our text. We'll not be able to treat the whole of the context in which these promises are issued, but they are precious, and I hope to be a, a foundation for you in your life for, one, celebrating the gospel, perhaps even believing the gospel this morning, but in terms of our obedience, a foundation for our following after Jesus in, uh, in ministering to uh, the little ones among us. Are you there in Galatians 4? Let's stand together out of respect and honor for the reading of God's word. Galatians 4, beginning in verse number 4. The Bible says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. Simple question. Why should we adopt, foster, or care for orphaned children? Number one, because the Bible says so. Because we have a direct command in the scripture. James 1 says that pure and undefiled religion is to care for the needs of widows and orphans in their time of distress. Psalm 82.3 says, defend the weak and fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Proverbs 31.8 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. In Psalm 68.5, the Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless. In other words, it's a part of the character of God that he would be about the business of tending to the needs of orphaned and fatherless children. So, so we, we charge the gates when it comes to this kind of ministry because the Bible has explicitly commanded that we do so. Now that's a good enough reason, but in case you needed added motivation, here's number two. 
Because we have been adopted by Jesus Christ. Now that's what our passage is about. Look back to verse number 4. The Bible says, When the time came to completion, or in the fullness of time, at the right time, right on time, the Bible says, when the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Now, if you are a foster resource parent, or you've been one at any time, or you've been involved in adoption in any way, shape, form, or fashion, uh, verses 4 and 5 resonate with you. Here the Bible says that right on time, God sent His Son. Right on time, God sent His Son. One of the things that I find so discouraging, and so many people find as a a factor that almost eliminates them from an option as far as service in this particular area is the great cost of adoption and orphan care in our country. One of the travesties with regards to this kind of ministry is that it can cost you tens of thousands of dollars to adopt a child into your family, and for $250, that child can be cast off with an abortion even in its mother's womb. One day, this nation is going to pay for that kind of stuff. It can be discouraging. And and you can begin this morning as you're invited to participate in adoption and orphan care in a variety of different ways. One of the first things that will come to mind for you will be the great cost, the personal financial expenses associated with this kind of endeavor. But I want you to know that no matter what you pay, it will be a price that is small in comparison to the price that the Father has paid that we might be adopted into the family of God. When the time of completion had come, God sent His Son. God sent His Son in order that we might receive adoption as sons. God gave Jesus over as the price that need be paid on our behalf. Jesus, born to a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. That is, God was willing to pay the price, and he entered into a system that could not save in order that the requirement of that system be met, that he might redeem us by faith unto himself. Adoptive parents, are you refreshed at this illustration of what Jesus has done for us? Great sacrifice. It's not as though our salvation came about arbitrarily. God didn't wave a wand in heaven and say, I'll I'll forgive all these people of the things that they've done. No, a price was paid for our forgiveness. A price was paid for our adoption. A great price was paid. The very blood of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. The righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled by Jesus in order that we might be called sons and daughters of God. The price was paid. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law so that we might be members of the family of God. In in our culture, there is this language of uh, we we are all the children of God. And and I I understand that there's a modicum of truth to that kind of terminology. We, we We are all of the Creator. God made us as we are in that sense the the most superficial of of senses, we are all children of God. 
But there is also a very real sense in which you are children of your father, the devil. In fact, that's what Jesus told the Pharisees when they said, we don't believe you, Jesus. And that means you're not who you say you are. Jesus said, I'm not very surprised that you don't believe in me. You're just like your daddy, the devil. And the Pharisees didn't have a whole lot to say in response to that, and neither do we. The reality for us is this. We are born into this world as enemies of God, corrupted by the presence of sin in our character and in our nature. We are hell-bound haters of God by birth, and yet God has adopted us into his family. And again, that doesn't happen arbitrarily. In the Bible Belt, we just think that this is just something that just comes about. We're Christian people, and we always have been. We believe in the existence of God. The Bible says even the demons believe, and they tremble. A miracle has to take place in order for us to come into the kingdom of God. A, a transaction, an exchange must happen in order for us to come into the family of God. We, we come from the family of, of hell the children of Satan, into the family of the Son of, of, of God, into Jesus' family, by faith in Christ, the price being paid by the blood of our Savior himself. We should adopt, foster, and care for orphan children because the Bible says we ought to and because we as believers in Jesus have been adopted into the family of God ourselves. Y'all with me? The natural next question is, what can I do? How can I be a part of adopting, caring for foster children or orphan children? How, how can I be a part of the solution? You'll hear in just a few moments about the size of the problem a little, uh, but how can I be a, a part of the solution? I'm going to give you seven ways, and then I'm going to invite some friends to help me out with this. You may be surprised about where we begin the first way that you can be a factor in alleviating uh, the needs of, of adoption and foster care and orphan care in general is by pursuing sexual purity in your life and instilling those values in your children and grandchildren. We, we have a, a crisis because of the sexual revolution of 40 and 50 and 60 years ago. Now, church folks, I'm telling you, this is as much an issue on the inside as it is on the outside. This, this, is, this speaks to premarital sex, sex outside of marriage. This speaks to the pornography culture and how that contributes to objectifying women and, and, and even contributes to human trafficking and various other perversions. Sexual impurity is directly connected to the neglect and the abuse of children. You mark it down big and bold, it's a fact. And so, brothers, I would say to you, I don't, I don't much want to hear about your claims to pro-life advocacy when you're tucked away in the quietness of the night watching things on your iPhones or on the Internet that are ungodly perversions before God. Be, being a pro-life person, this needs to be said, being a pro-life person is not about being anti-abortion. Being a pro-life person is about being in favor of life whether that be a life in the womb or it be a life at three years old and 
environment of abuse and neglect or be a life at 90 years old when there are great needs there. From the womb to the tomb, as they say in such a cliche way, that's what being a pro-life person is about. And an aspect of pro-life must be, must be, must be advocacy in the favor of biblical sexual ethics and sexual purity in general. Secondly, honor marriage and family. Guys, I'm just, I'm telling you, Honor marriage and family. It, I, it's, it's a concerning thing for me, the circumstances under which kids live who, who live just in single-parent homes as a product of divorce. And I celebrate and, I, and, I, and I, I pray for and I appreciate single moms and single dads who under less than ideal circumstances are getting the job done in many instances serving as both mom and dad in the home. The single moms and single dads within our congregation would raise up with you and tell with me and tell you it's not the ideal circumstance. It's not. There was, there was a time when people would say things like, we're just staying together for the children. And then we came to a place where people would say, well, you know, that's not a good reason to stay together. Let, let, me, let me tell you what's, what's worse than, than being a child in a home where mom and dad may fuss a little. It's being a child in a home where there is no mom and dad. That's what's worse than that. And the studies are showing us, research is showing us what the Bible has been telling us for thousands of years, that the children are a good reason to stay together. Moms and dads teetering on the edge of divorce. I just want you to hear me out for just a moment. There is more at stake in the decisions you're making about your future as husband and wife than child support and alimony payments. The single most consequential decision in my life was the divorce of my mama and daddy. It had consequences in that moment, and it continues to have consequences in my life today. If, if, you want to, if you want to do something to alleviate this area of need, honor marriage and family. I've said this several times in my few months here as pastor, and I'll continue to say it. If you really want to make a lasting difference in this world, young men, young women, listen to me carefully. If you want to do something that outlasts your natural span of life, find you a husband or a wife, whatever the case might be. Now, that's not optional. I'm speaking husbands for wives and wives for husbands here. It's unfortunate that such a clarification need be offered, but it does. And men, you, fi you find a, a young woman, find her while you're both young, and love her, and love her, and love her when she burns the beans. And, and, and wives, lo love him when he's just a big jerk. She'll burn a lot of beans, and he'll be a big jerk a lot of days. And you just keep loving each other, and just love each other, and love each other, and love each other. No matter what happens, you just love each other. And when you feel like you just want to quit and give up, just love each other some more. And have all the children that God will let you have. Just have all of them he'll let you have. Now, don't run out and get a TLC show or anything like that, but have all the children God will let you have. And bring them up in the training and the admonition of Jesus. Teach them to love Jesus with all of their heart and soul and strength and mind. And, and then die on the front porch in a rocking chair with all those grandchildren seated about you. And you telling them how good Jesus has been to you. It's not glitzy. It's not glamorous. It won't get you a reality TV show or a million followers on Twitter. But I'm telling you, it'll make an eternal difference in this world if you'll stay together Love your children. Bring them up in the training and admonition of Jesus. And teach the generations to come what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Number three, financial responsibility. 
In a moment, as we talk about opportunities that are available to you to be a part of adoption, foster care, and other types of ministry like this, one of the first things that's going to register with you is what it costs you. Financial responsibility is, is a factor here. In fact, some of the situations that create the need for foster care are, are, are the direct product of failed financial responsibility on the part of, of parents. Number four. Supporting ministries which provide assistance to orphans and needy children. You hear about some here today, but there are others that we won't speak of, like the Baptist Children's Village that does a great job with certain cases, and there are other organizations like those. If you have financial responsibility, you will uh, open doors and opportunities for yourself and for your family to be able to meet the needs of ministries just like those. Number five, foster care. Um, there's, there's a great need, which uh, you'll hear of in just a moment. Um, roughly 5,000 children in the foster care system in the state of Mississippi, about half a million children across the United States in the foster care, children, foster care system, those children in need of, of placement. Number six, adoption. Just, just make, them, make them your own. There are children out there who have, who have real needs. I mean, I... I I, I think, you know there are children right now who need a, a family. <laughs> right out there in, in our lobby, there's a, there's a table, the heart gallery. And if you just, just want to just weep this afternoon, just go by that table and, and look into those photographs, those faces of those little ones who are awaiting a forever family. The adoption is, is, is not, it's not for somebody else, it's for, it's for us. And I'm going to say this. It's not a matter of if, this is like the mission thing, right? It's not a matter of if we have been called to adoption, fostering, or orphan care in general. The question is how we have been called to that particular kind of ministry. You need to begin even now to wrestle with that question. Number seven, and this is critically important, uh, prayer. Begin to pray. I blame or credit, depending on how the day is going, our position as foster parents on, on my 11-year-old son's prayers, consistently praying for orphans, for kids without moms and dads, is how he would usually put it, in our family Bible study time uh, each night. A few years ago, uh, two, three years ago, we had uh, some, some family friends who were ad adopting, and uh, he just put that on the list for their Wednesday night group, and some others did, and they committed to pray for that. And, and each night, we, we, he might not pray for much else, but he was praying for kids who didn't have moms and dads and that God would make a way for them to have a family and that he would provide for their needs. And God just got on our heart. And, uh, and here we are these years later uh, now with our third and fourth placement in our home. I, I want to invite uh, our panelists to come and, and, uh, and sort of take a seat here. And I've got some questions for these guys that are going to come. And they're going to share with you about some ways uh, that you can be a part of fostering, adopting, even praying for um, the needs of, of children uh, without homes or, or without families. And as, as they're coming and taking their places, I want to challenge you. I dare you to take up praying for the needs that we'll discuss this morning. Go by that heart gallery and take one of those pictures and commit to pray for those children, or just in general, just a prayer as simple as our, at the time, eight or nine-year-old son. 
God, I pray that you'd be with the orphans, be with the kids who don't have moms and dads. Sometimes because these ministries are out of sight, they're out of mind, but these needs exist even in our own backyard. Let me take just a moment to introduce our panel to you. To my left is uh, Danny and Julie Mann. And uh, Danny and Julie have been members here at Longview Point for a long time. And uh, they are our international adopting representatives. Uh, Danny and Julie, would you tell us just a little bit about your family and the kids? Sure, we have four children uh, that are nine, seven, six, and three. Um, the three oldest are girls, the youngest is a boy, and three of our children were by adoption from China. Great. In the middle here, this is Sabria Smith. Um, Sabria is the director of Rescue 100, a faith-based initiative of the Mississippi Child Protective Services and, uh, and, and a, really a really exciting ministry. I met Sabria um, some, last year, I think, but in December, uh, we were in a meeting about raising funds for Rescue 100. And, uh, and, they, and, and she said, I think, you know, there's a church up in northwest Mississippi, and they have a pastor named Jason Ford. And, uh, and they like to do things with foster care. And I said, yeah, I think I know a little something about that church. And so here we are together this morning. Sabria, would you tell the folks about Rescue 100 and what you do? The back end of what we do is work with churches to develop supportive services um, to help foster parents maintain and to keep doing the difficult job of fostering. Um, because right now in Mississippi, we have um, about 4,500 foster children. But that's just a snapshot of today. Kids are constantly coming into care and leaving care. So thousands upon thousands of families are directly in, um directly affected by foster care throughout any given year. Um, and I was glad to see as we're moving across the state that churches are beginning to kind of take some ownership of that and to realize what um, you can offer to those children and biological families in foster care. Amen. Thank you, Ms. Sabria. And then uh, next uh, left of Sabria is Derek uh, Fortenberry. Derek is our pastor for Families with Youth. And uh, Derek is on the panel today as our representative of uh, a family who has adopted domestically. It is encouraging that I could choose from among our church staff uh, to identify someone who would uh, represent an, an adoptive family. Derek, tell us a little bit about your situation and the choice to adopt domestically. connected us um, with one of our kids and connected with another agency is how it happened. 
And uh, just God laid it on our heart to, to pursue domestic uh, adoption. Last but not least is Jason Ford. And uh, Jason is our missions pastor and uh, a foster parent or resource parent, as they're often referred to now. And uh, Jason, our, we, we are resource parents, foster parents as well. And Jason is the brother who talks me down off the ledge when I'm just about ready to jump. Um, <laughs> Jason, talk about you guys in foster care and how that goes. There's so much that I want, want to say about, about fostering. Obviously, we're, we're passionate about, about foster care. Jason, what, what, are, what are proper motivations for people who involve themselves in, in foster care? I think something that would uh, differentiate adoption and foster care, the, the heart stepping into it does not need to be, I'm going to get a child from my family. It's, I want to give my family to a child. For a period of time, and to go into it knowing this is going to hurt. There's a real sense in which with foster care, the focus has to be, at least in part, ministering to the family of the child that comes into your care, even when they make you want to give them the right hand of fellowship. <laughs> Danny and Julie, tell us why international adoption. Yes. So we get asked that a lot, um, sometimes right in front of our children and sometimes in, uh, in a curious way, you know, why not a domestic and, you know, for us, it was really our heart's to desire. Um, we were at Disneyland, at Disney World one time, and there was a clearly Caucasian father. Um, and on his shoulders, he had a clearly Asian daughter and carrying her around. And on her shirt, it said, Made in China. And right then, I knew that that is what uh, my heart's desire was. And, uh, you know, Danny uh, thankfully had a heart for adoption as well. And from that moment on, if I ever saw an Asian daughter uh, or a little girl in an airport, I mean, tears just came to my eyes. And uh, this morning, you know, we debated on what all to, to share because there are many logistical differences between domestic and international adoptions. Everything from uh, open versus closed, uh, parental right differences, um, you know, and depending upon the country, uh, when you fly into the U United States, uh, if they become you know, U.S. citizens, um, so many differences. 
uh, between countries. And the hardest part really with getting started is really the paperwork uh, and, and deciding upon the country in which to adopt from. That is really the most difficult part that we found. Uh, and you know, how long that you have follow-up studies and, uh, and, and, and the home studies that you have to, to do. So those are really the most difficult parts for us to get started. Um, the timeline for us, um, I, it became my full-time job when we began to adopt. So for us, um, uh, it ranged from three months with one adoption with our daughter that was really very tragically uh, ill, um, from three months to uh, about one year. And uh, with international adoption also, you, go, you can go from non-special needs um, to um, special needs. And uh, I will also let you know for international adoption, the special needs is very, very different than in the United States what we consider special needs. So for our children, um, all three of our adoptions were special needs adoptions. So um, our, um, our three children by adoption all um, were special focused, which means that the people that um, had already chosen a special needs child, these really already, um, they were beyond that. And so they all had very serious heart conditions. So all three of our children have had uh, heart surgeries at Boston Children's, very complex. Um, um, our oldest, who's in the audience today, has had four heart surgeries, um, and so she will have lifelong care um, from a heart perspective, and so um, just very serious from a cardiac perspective. So again, different than what in the United States we consider um, special needs. How about the cost of international adoption? The cost of international adoption for us was um, somewhere around thirty to $35,000, and the way that we explain to our children how the cost works is it's not the cost um, it's not a transactional cost of um, acquiring a product. It's a uh, process cost of um, you know paying for all of the legal fees, the agency fees, the international government uh, fees that go along with that. So I uh, just wanted to share how we explain that to our children as well. Derek, for for you and Shannon, why domestic adoption and um, and and cost as well? Uh, domestic for us. Domestic for us. My grandfather was adopted, and so that just really laid on our heart and me the way that he uh, even loved Shannon and she came into our family and everything, and just knowing the impact that adoption had had on our family uh, long before we were ever born, um, the way that it had impacted his future and the tra trajectory uh, for all of us. And so that just continued. We saw you know, that there was a need here as well, and so we continued. Uh, cost is similar uh, to what the man's cost, uh, going through a private agency. Um, and, you know, the agency does a lot to help support um, the birth moms as well. Uh, and so that's part of where the cost goes, along with doctor visits which tend to make to get approved for it and, and everything else. And so, like, there's a, like you're talking about paperwork, it's a lot of paperwork even for domestic adoption. A lot of things you have to do to take those steps. Um, and so it adds up fairly quickly because that's all kind of part of the cost. Um, but you go through all this paperwork and it's hurry, hurry, hurry to get it done because you want to get everything in as fast as you possibly can and then it's just wait and wait. And for us, our, uh, I think our first one was two years that we had to wait uh, for the Lord to bring uh, David into our home. And then uh, for our second, it was about 10 months. And, uh, you know, it could be longer than that for some families and some are, are blessed and it's shorter than that. Uh, but you learn a lot, even though the silence is deafening and your life changes in a moment. Uh, you know, in both of our situations, we got a phone call, um, and within an hour, uh, we were on our way uh, to go meet our son. Um, whether it was six hours away in New Orleans or whether it was in Tupelo, 
Um, and so our whole life changed right there in a moment. But there's so much waiting and, and not knowing anything leading up to that point. And so there's a lot of sanctification in that. Um, but God is good, and, and he had them for our family long before we knew who they were. Foster care and adoption is really good for your prayer life. Yes, very much so. Sabria, if there's folks in our congregation today who, who would love to be foster parents, resource parents, how, how would that process begin? So we've got a table in the lobby that basically just begins with just giving us a call. We can talk with you about what your options and things are. As he was saying, you know, the waiting was the hardest part when all the paperwork and stuff was done. I can almost guarantee in foster care, once you get that certificate that says you're licensed, you're going to get a call for a kiddo. Um, and that's because we've got 4,500 kids in care across the state, 92 of which are right here in your county. And if you're looking at the counties just directly in your neighboring, that number jumps to over 250 just like that, um, with only about 60 foster families to care for those kids. Our goal is to have more families waiting than we have children. Because um, it's just not fair to get that call at 4 o'clock on Friday saying I have this child who doesn't have a home to go to. That should never be. One of the worries, I believe, that children should carry. So if you're interested, just call us. Um, you'll get also go to an informational meeting called Orientation. We've got two of those coming up in this other county area in early December. And that's just a commitment-free come and hear more. Hear more about the foster care system, what the expectations are for foster parents. Um, and then we'll just take you down the training process from there. We've also in the lobby got the Heart Gallery. These kids are already free for adoption. Their parental rights have been terminated and they're looking for that family just to walk through life with them, um, to help them heal through the, the hurts that they've dealt with. Um, so if that's something that lays on your heart, I'd love to talk more about that as well. And we have another table in the lobby. Um, Southern Christian Services is also here. It's a private agency that partners with us. Um, and they're here to talk about respite care. So foster care seems a little scary. You're not really sure if you can commit all of that time right now. Um, respite is a way to, to, to help out for like one weekend every month. It's very, very short term. Um, but we believe once you start getting close to foster care, once you're in the same proximity, um, the, the, the scariness of it kind of wears off and you just see that these are kids. God's kids who have just been through incredible life experiences that no fault of their own. We need people like you to walk through life journey with them. I would just encourage you to pray for um, folks like Sabria and uh, the people within Child Protective Services. There's a, you get around foster parents, there's a lot of grumbling about the system, this inanimate system, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. But there really are some people in the system who love Jesus and really do care about the best interest of these kids, uh, even at the very top. And so pray for them. I would add, this is about as political as your pastor will get, evaluate the pro-life status of your candidate on the basis of how he regards child protective services and the care of uh, kids who are in disadvantaged positions. It's a pretty good litmus test and one that most, maybe that strong, many, are completely unaware of. Caseworkers are overworked and underpaid. They need your prayers and encouragement uh, in a variety of, of different ways. Jason, 
What's the number one reason that people do not foster? When I talk about it with folks, one of the main things I hear is, oh, that's great, but I could never do it. It'd be, it, it would hurt too much. It would be too hard. And um, it hurts too much. <laughs> it's hard. Um, keeping a little kid and on Christmas Eve, taking him to his forever home after you've had him for a year. That's a hard thing to do. But it's a great thing to do because it's that picture of the gospel that I can walk my boys through, my family through. Um, and it's right and it's good and we can step into pain and minister because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't step away from pain and messiness and hurt. We as followers of Christ step towards it. Amen. Danny, what would you say to dads? who are sitting next to wives who, in their typically feminine way, feel such compassion for these kids and would take six home this afternoon, but Dad doesn't know. <laughs> I would just like to make an appeal to all of the men that are in here um, to be open to listening to your wife. If God has given her a heart for adoption or for foster care or in any other way of contributing to providing for orphans, um, take that seriously and don't be quick to dismiss it and to blow it off. Um, there's a reason why God's put that on her heart, and just pray about it and see where he leads you. It does need to be a united front where both of you are on the same page and not just one that's interested in the other one that's coming along. Um, but just make sure that um, God's not also calling you before you say no. Um, we have four children, and I know some of the fears as a husband and as a father are, can I love this other child? Can I um, provide for this child? And we chose to adopt first before we knew if we could have biological children or not. And so when we found ourselves expecting our biological child, we had the question of, can we love this child as much as we love our first child? <laughs> so uh, the answer to both of those questions is yes. And the thing that God um, continued to impress upon me as we were going through the process is, do you trust me and I am the provider? So don't try to figure out how you can do this on your own, because you can't. But lean on him, and he will make a way for it to happen if he's leading you and your family in that direction. Amen. We don't really, we don't really look at them. Um, we don't really look at them as adopted and biological kids. They're just our kids. They're all, they're all our sons and our daughter. You know, there's not a, a differentiation between them. And so I, mean, I think that's a, a key point. Is we, we just love them as, as our kids. That's all it is. Hey, would you give the panelists a hand and thank them for sharing with us? I have to resist the want to keep them here and to talk about these matters all day. Thank you guys so much for coming and sharing with us. I want to stress that, that there's, an, there's an opportunity here for virtually everyone um, in terms of cost, in terms of calling, in terms of station in life. Uh, there may be some older parents who are now empty nesters, and you, you think about raising children like serving time in Parchment Penitentiary. You have done your time, and you will do no more. And, and I just want you to know that there's a, there's a very real opportunity for you to serve um, in one of the greatest areas of need within the need, it's not a difficult thing to find a placement for a two-year-old child. Every, if you don't love two-year-old children, something's wrong with you, you know? 
But, but that becomes quite a different scenario when she's 15 years old and she has her own child in care. Or when she's 13 years old and she's been the victim of sexual abuse. Or he's 15 years old and he's been the aggravator in sexual abuse. Those scenarios are, are much, much different. There's a real window, a real opportunity for empty nesters to be able to receive children into their home. That frankly, we don't know what the background is. But there could be some real challenges there that might prevent them from being able to be in the home with other children within their same age range or even younger children. There's an opportunity for service in this area for every man, woman, and child here today. There just flat is. Uh, Derek, Derek said we don't think about our, our, our children as adopted children and children. And that's one of the things that makes it difficult. I, even this morning, I find myself struggling at what terminology to best use. I, I still don't know that I have all of that mastered. One thing that I do celebrate is that unlike when I was a, a boy, this is not some taboo thing that we don't talk about anymore. You know, if you had a friend when I was in grade school who was adopted, you whispered about that with your mutual friend, and you wondered if he or she knew that, that that's how they came into this particular family. Now, I just want, I don't, I want us to get to a place, and I, I think as a church we may be at that place, where we can celebrate adoption for what it is. A beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it really is. Jesus has entered into the system, so to speak, and he has paid the ultimate price that we might receive adoptions as God's son, that we would become heirs with him, that we might cry out the, the most intimate of references to our father, Abba, Father. This is what Jesus has done for us. You, you do realize that Jesus is different than us, right? Like we didn't come from where he comes from. We're not like him. All of our depictions in our culture of Jesus, he has this light olive skin with long flowing hair and deep blue eyes. Jesus actually looks more like the people we're currently fighting in the Middle East than he does like me and you. He is not from around here. He is altogether unlike us. And yet by his blood, he has made us a part of his family. It really is a remarkable thing what Jesus has done for us. And God has given us these institutions to help us to best understand what God has done for us through Jesus. Think about marriage. Jesus said the church is, is my bride. The, the institution of marriage becomes a model for what the relationship between Jesus and his church is intended to be like. And Jesus has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even within the judicial system in our country, within the legal system, we, we have a declaration of guilty versus not guilty. God has given us justification by the blood of Jesus, clothed in his righteousness. The great judge upon his throne of judgment looks upon us and regards us not according to our sin, but the works of righteousness with Christ has done and declares us not just not guilty, but holy and righteous and blameless. And he's given us the institution of adoption to give us this, this picture from our point of view of what it looks like to be brought into the family of God through no worth or merit of our own. In the context of Galatians 4, Paul is in, encouraging and challenging a church that seems to be on the verge of drifting away from the gospel. 
There are some addressed by chapter 4 and verses 4 through 7 who have come to faith in Jesus, but they've somehow convinced themselves that they need to continue to win the favor of God through certain acts of obedience. Then there are those who've not yet come to faith in Jesus, at least not legitimately come to faith in Jesus, and they've convinced themselves that although they need Jesus to come into the family of God, that there are certain personal efforts that need to be a part of this equation as well. Paul's admonition, the promise of adoption as sons, heirs of God, and the ability to cry to God, Abba, Father, is that you didn't earn God's favor. And as a son, you cannot lose it. Adoption serves for us an illustration of what God promises to do for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. I can imagine what people without a saving relationship with Jesus must be thinking about today. We've, we've come together, and uh, if, you, if you read any in your bulletin, we're doing the best we can to give as much of our money away in a small amount of time as we possibly can so that the gospel will get to the ends of the earth. That's a very un-American thing to do. And now, in a culture that sees children as a burden, as an imposition on the fulfillment of our own personalized American dream. We're, we're, we're talking about taking on not only the children entrusted most immediately to us, but even those who may be without a home or a family. Do we sound crazy to you? I'm convinced we should, because what Jesus has called us to is completely countercultural. Not to go with the, the, the direction of this world, but to come out and to follow after him faithfully in an upside-down, kingdom-of-God kind of way. Now, I would invite those of you who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, I would invite you to receive the gift of adoption. Though you aren't like Jesus, and he's not like you, though his ways are not like your ways, your thoughts are not like his thoughts, though he's not from here, doesn't favor you, resemble you at all, I would invite you by faith in Jesus to be a part of God's forever family, to come into the kingdom of God, to know the joy and the peace and the upside-down mind of a follower of Jesus Christ. It really is a phenomenal thing. Trust in him. Receive the promise of adoption. You know, one thing that, that we've not mentioned that is probably worth mentioning here there, there's a lot of you that come from families with such dysfunction. The metaphor of fatherhood is really not helpful for you in understanding the character of our God. One of the most endearing qualities of the father, for me, as a child of family dysfunction, Brandy and I say our families put the fun in dysfunction. The steadfastness of God, the stability of God, the faithfulness of God. That no matter what happens tomorrow, when I wake up, God will be the same. Next week, when I wake up, God will be the same. There'll never be a moment in time in my life when God leaves me or forsakes me. I, I learned at a very young age that I have the capacity to forsake, to fail even the people that I love the best. The people that love me the best have the capacity to unfaithfulness toward me. But there is a God in heaven 
who is great in his faithfulness, and his mercies are new every morning. What you'll find in our faithful Father, you won't find elsewhere. Come to him and receive adoption as son.